Welcome to Media in Minutes. This is your host, Angela Toole. This podcast features in-depth interviews with those who report on the world around us. They share everything from their favorite stories to what happened behind the lens and give us a glimpse into their world. From our studio here at Communications Redefined, this is Media in Minutes. In today's episode, we are speaking with Lauren Foster, a senior writer for Barron's who covers investing topics and strategies with a focus on sustainable investing and ESG. She helps investors make smarter decisions and has a knack for translating complex topics into simple, clear, and engaging copy. Lauren is also an intrepid traveler who has explored the remote landscapes of Mongolia to the vibrant streets in Afghanistan and Karakoram Highway in Pakistan. Hello, Lauren. How are you? Hi, Angela. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Yes, I'm looking forward to talking with you. I would love if you could start with telling us about how you began in journalism and how you've gotten to where you are today. Absolutely. So my my first reporting job was actually for a local Sunday newspaper in South Africa, which is where I was born and raised. And then I took something of a a long and winding path after that. Uh, I left South Africa and spent about two and a half years living and working around the world, sort of uh, traveling to different places. And then a few years later, I found myself in New York City, and realized that I needed a graduate degree to compete for jobs with Americans being a foreigner. So mm-hmm. I went off to Columbia, which is where I got my master's. And that amazingly led to my first reporting job in New York City. Oh, and wow. that was covering foreign exchange for a wire service. And <laughs> that may sound terribly dull. <laughs> it was actually in 1997, and that was the year of the Asian financial crisis. Uh, and in j- July that year, soon after I'd started, the Thai Baht collapsed. And so it was actually a very exciting time to be covering uh, what was a big international story. And I was lucky I did that for a couple of years. And then the Financial Times, which is the UK publication, was expanding its presence in the US. And I was uh-huh. lucky to get a job in the New York newsroom and spent nearly a decade working at the Financial Times Then took a little bit of a sort of what I would call a journalism adjacent job for a few years. And now I'm at at Barron's full time. Wow. So when you went to get that journalism degree, did you know that you wanted to do financial journalism? Absolutely not. Um, (laughs) At the time, that was really where the jobs were. And it actually became a huge international story. Um, You know, back in 97, the Asian financial crisis, there was a lot of contagion. And it was just a tremendously exciting time to be a a reporter and being on the wire service was very fast paced. There was a lot of international news and it also involved covering a lot of what was happening on the international stage. So it was very exciting. Yeah, it sounds like it. Definitely. So I have to veer off just a little bit and ask what it was like to grow up in South Africa. Well, it was, I would say, a challenging um, place to grow up. I was actually living during the apartheid era, which was um, a very difficult time to be uh, a South African. Uh, I would say that it gave me a great appreciation for a free press. South Africa under apartheid was a totalitarian regime. And so I grew up uh, seeing what uh, censorship was like. And so it was a great place to learn uh, to take stands for what you believe in and to fight for what you think is right. 
Um, yeah. But I'm very happy that today South Africa is a, uh, a democracy. Yes. So as a senior writer for Barron's, a well-respected publication in the business and investing world, what topics do you specifically cover? So I really have quite a broad mandate to write about investing and the asset management industry, but I also cover what's known as ESG and sustainable investing and big themes that are related to climate change, including important topics like water security and water scarcity. Okay. So for those who don't know, what is ESG? That is environmental, social, and governance investing. Okay. Okay, which makes sense with what you explained there. So what do you find most interesting about your work? Well, I have to say that I'm never bored. There really is uh, no shortage of news. Um, but also because media has evolved so much, there are now so many different ways of telling a story. Yeah. Um, love the fact that, you know, audio is so accessible, that visual storytelling is more important than ever. And going back to sort of the beat that I write about a lot today, I would say that climate change is going to be really the story of our, our lifetimes. And I feel that I have a responsibility to write stories so readers understand you know, the risks it poses, not just for the planet, but also for their portfolios. Yes, yes. That, you know, what makes my work so interesting is that I feel like I'm constantly learning. You know, every time I get thrown into sort of a deep dive on a story, it's somewhat like doing sort of a mini masterclass in a subject yeah. and then turning around and having to explain to my readers what I've just learned. That was my favorite thing too. I started my career as a journalist as well. And I, and I loved that. And, you know, before actually working in it professionally, that's what I would do with family and friends. I would be the one to learn about something that was happening, dive into it, research and let everyone know. So um, when you like to do that, it's definitely a really good fit. Absolutely. So how do you approach covering complex financial topics? You know, cause they're financial topics are complex usually. What strategies do you use to simplify or explain the complicated concepts? So I really try to read as much as possible about a subject. And whenever I find a story, um, I always try to see if there's original, like primary research. And then it becomes one of those things where you sort of go down the rabbit hole. You start reading one thing that leads to another thing that leads to another <laughs> thing. And I'm, I'm somewhat old school in the sense that I will print out vast quantities of paper and find that my desk is piled high with reports and stories that I'm highlighting and scribbling notes all around. So it's just really trying to do as deep a dive as possible and to figure out who else is writing similar stories, who are the people I should be reading about. Um, and that sort of just helps to build out the sort of like it's your base of knowledge. And I would say when it comes to writing, uh, one of the strategies I always think about for keeping things simple is to go back to uh, Warren Buffett, and he's a legendary investor. Yeah. And he always used to say that when he would draft his annual letters, which are very well read, he would keep his two sisters in mind. And what he would mean by that is that they are smart, but they're not necessarily active in business and they're not reading the newspaper every single day. So that means you have to uh, write clearly. Uh, it means getting rid of jargon. And I would also say that I learned a lot from reading some of my peers who are very good at distilling complex topics. So for example, 
Jonah Sarah, he used to write a business column for the New York Times. And whenever I would read his columns, it was almost as if you were sitting at a bar and having a conversation with him. It was very conversational. And he could take a very complex subject and just make it very accessible. Another great example is Jason Zweig, who is at the Wall Street Journal. Again, right. he can take complex topics and make them accessible, partly through the storytelling, but also just in their style and their prose. You know, Warren Buffett, just to go back to him for a moment, uh, would say or still says that he only tends to invest, uh, they stick to businesses that we believe we understand. And as a journalist, if I'm tackling a complex topic and I don't understand it, I can't expect my readers to understand. And if I don't really understand it, I can't right. write about it. Uh, it goes that sort of lesson you, you always say, you know, if you want to really learn something, you have to teach someone else about it and you have to keep that in mind. Yes, yes. So what are some of the challenges you face when covering financial news? Well, I would say it's not just unique to financial news, although the element of the markets, which are constantly changing, and there's lots of news that makes stocks and bonds move uh, on a daily basis, is certainly one challenge. But I would say the biggest challenge, and this is probably for journalists everywhere, is just time and being able to do enough reporting and to be able to understand the story and to write it accurately and quickly when also there's so much information out there you have to be incredibly discerning about what you're reading and have to think quickly in terms of what is the most important information that you have to assimilate so I would say you know in terms of um how to overcome that challenge of time you know aside from wishing that I could just slow down time I can't uh, I find that I really have to be quite disciplined about focusing and not being distracted when it comes to writing. And so easy to be distracted. There are just so many different things that are going on uh, during the day. So one of the things I often do to try and sort of create more of a, a flow state as I'm writing is to turn off my distractions. So that would be things like switching off the notifications on my email, silence right. my phone, making sure that my my Slack channel is silenced because otherwise it's very easy to write a couple of sentences, check email, check yeah. your messages, and it's not that productive. So that's the way I try to just, I guess, stay focused and hone in on a job that I have to do. Yeah, that's great advice for all of us in our work. I tend to do that as well. Are there any specific strategies you employ to stay ahead of, you know, what the constantly evolving financial landscape? But I think it helps to be something of a, of a news junkie. And hopefully most journalists are news junkies right. in their own way. And certainly uh, I'm an avid consumer of the news. I'm also a very early riser and I like to uh, make my morning coffee and sit down before I go for a run and just scan. You know, I have a news app on my phone. I scan the front pages of the big publications to just see if anything has broken overnight. Mm-hmm. I also check LinkedIn from time to time because that's a chance to see stories that you know, your professional network is posting that I may not have seen. Or if I see something that someone has posted that's getting a lot of interest, that's yeah. another way that I make sure that I, I haven't missed something. You know, years ago, I used to look always at Twitter because that was a great source of uh, breaking news. But I've, I guess I've switched uh, away from Twitter in the last few years and have to rely really just on the news as it's produced uh, by the major publications. Yeah, we're hearing more and more of that for sure. 
So what are some examples of memorable business stories you have covered that had a significant impact on you or your readers? So one story that comes to mind, it, it sort of harkens back to something I said in the beginning about you know, climate change. Last year, we did a cover story on water and water security and water risk. And, you know, most Americans don't think about water. We turn on the taps, water goes out. But there are many parts of the country where there isn't running water or there is too much water or there's too little water. And so I think it was very important uh, to bring this topic to our readers for them to understand the real challenges uh, that running out of water poses for businesses and daily life and even, you know, one's investments. And then this year we did a big cover story on plastic. And again, that's another one of these big stories that generates a lot of interest from our readers. You know, we tend to take for granted just how much plastic we consume, uh, the amount of waste pollution that produces. And we often don't think about the realities of recycling and whether what we're putting into our recycling bins actually gets recycled, what happens to it. And so I think bringing those sorts of stories to our readers is important. Yes, and we'll link to those in our show notes. So for anyone listening can can, uh, read them if they're interested. How do you see the future of financial journalism unfolding, you know, particularly in terms of integrating these emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence? I really think that financial journalism will evolve much the same way as mainstream media, which is really to say that you have to reach your audiences where they consume that information. And increasingly, that's in places like YouTube, TikTok. Uh, maybe on LinkedIn. So you have to be very adaptable in terms of how you package your stories. So you may have a story that runs as a big cover story that could be in print, it could be online, but then how do you take it and chop it up into bite-sized pieces that make it work for a TikTok or make it work on YouTube? So I think we have to be very creative in thinking about how we repackage and package our stories. And I think that comes down to being very nimble and mm-hmm. creative in terms of how we think about storytelling. But I also think, you know, video and photography will become increasingly important. And even in financial journalism, you need to have compelling visuals to draw in the audience. Yeah. But also, yeah. You know, particularly in financial journalism, there's a lot of data and thinking about how one presents data. So data journalism is very important. Well, not just how you present, but also how you mine that data. And sometimes, you know, we think of AI as taking away jobs, but actually it can also help us do our jobs in terms of mining data for incredibly interesting stories or for patterns. You know, there's a lot of talk about AI at the moment. um, And I think a lot of people are fearful But I do think it's going to be a while before robots take over the newsroom and lots that AI can help in terms of just uh, sorting through a lot of information and helping journalists be better at their jobs. Yeah. Are you using it right now? I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I know that ChatGBT is incredibly popular. Yes. Uh, I have uh, two young boys uh, who have been using ChatGBT to do all kinds of things but I I haven't yet used it on a day-to-day basis. So how can PR professionals best help you do your job? 
No, I think the best PR people are the ones who really understand what you're writing about and only bring the best people uh, and ideas to the table. And that means just keeping track of the stories that are being produced. So, you know, we are inundated with information and it's very hard to sort out sort of, you know, what's relevant and what's not relevant, but the best BR people really truly understand what you're writing about and what will make a difference and what is a good story. And those are the PR people who tend to get traction when they approach journalists with ideas. Yes. I'd love to talk a little bit about your passion. Being an avid traveler has you know, how has that passion for travel influenced your journalism career? Or have you found any connections between your travels and your work in the financial industry? So my my, my travel is, is somewhat on the adventurous side of, of the scale. Yes. Quite always, you know, match up with uh, financial journalism. But I was lucky when I worked at the Financial Times, we had a phenomenal travel section. And so I was very lucky to be able to write about some of the, the, the adventures that I took. So, for example, they published a story on my trip to, to Kabul and Afghanistan. They also published a piece on my travels to Pakistan. And then a few years later, I did a trip in Ecuador, uh, canoeing in the Amazon. And so, again, I was lucky enough to write about that for the FT. But unfortunately, there are not, other, not that many opportunities today to, to marry up financial journalism and, and travel in terms right. of what I'm doing. Yeah. So how did you get into the adventure travel? You know, maybe it, is, it comes down to having grown up in South Africa, where I was used to, you know, beautiful surroundings, uh, very adventurous lifestyle. Uh-huh. And when I left South Africa, it was just very exciting to be able to go to new places I'd never been to. So, yeah, I don't really know how, how it became such a passion of mine. Yeah, those places that you named, you know, I'd love if you'd share some memorable experiences or, you know, stories from those travels. Absolutely. So perhaps one of the my, my most defining trips was one that I did a few years ago to uh, Mongolia, which was a, a photographic expedition where we trekked across the Altai Mountains. Wow. One of the amazing things of that trip was that I was off the grid for, for several days. And it really was a chance to reset, to not be constantly thinking about checking social media, not be thinking about reading the news. And it was a a time to really uh, practice, I think, gratitude to be in this incredibly beautiful space without those distractions, to be in a very different culture, to be photographing, to be walking, to be sharing a new experience. I think those kinds of uh, sort of experiences really shape one's outlook and sort of define who we are. And that was certainly one of the trips that really stands out in my memory. So you're a photographer as well. Yes, I I would say that I'm a a novice photographer. I love to take photographs. And that was one of the appeals actually for that trip was the opportunity to travel with a photographer. And we did a a portrait workshop uh, as part of the trip. So that was definitely part of the appeal. Wow. So what were some of the challenges you faced while traveling in Afghanistan and Pakistan, if if there were any, you know, and how did those experiences shape your understanding of those regions? 
So my trips to Afghanistan and Pakistan were in the early 2000s, and uh, that was a time um, of, of some sort of instability in the region, we could yeah. say. And there, there weren't very many travelers going to those regions, let alone uh, women traveling alone. So perhaps the biggest challenge was really just to be cognizant of safety as a woman traveling alone and to not draw attention to myself, especially, for example, in, in Pakistan, you know, you don't see very many women uh, traveling alone. And so one of the things I try to do with, when I'm traveling is to not stand out. So, for example, in Pakistan, I wore a shalwar kameez, which is the traditional style of dress, so that I wouldn't draw attention to myself. So I think, you know, women traveling alone at any places have to be careful, but particularly in places where it might be more noticeable that you're foreign, you just have to be, you know, I guess, cognizant of your surroundings and take the appropriate steps to, to stay safe. Yes. Were you completely alone or did you have a guide? So I was... Um, alone for part of it but then what what I would often what I often do is I'll get to a place find a local guide and then use a guide to, to help take me uh, on part of the trip so for example in northern Pakistan I arrived uh, in the city in the north and then I hired a guide to take me in a jeep up the Karakoram highway that's something I couldn't obviously do by myself so I had to hire a guide to drive me uh, on these rural parts of the road wow that's amazing. You are adventurous in that way. If there's others listening who are thinking, oh, I'd love to do that, you know, where where do you even suggest starting and planning for, for um, visiting areas, you know, countries like that? So I guess the, the confession of this is that I'm actually a terrible planner. I, I don't oh. think much ahead of time. Maybe part of the the thrill for me is that I sort of arrive in places and then they start to unfold, sometimes rather unpredictably. Wow. I was planning another adventure. You know, I would start where I always start with everything in terms of what I'm doing. And that's with the research, just Uh Googling, um, reading everything I could about uh, a place uh, in the old, well, I guess I say the old days, but you know, the Lonely Planet Guides used to be, you know, books we were right. to read and research uh, about the history, about the food, about when to travel. Uh, I mean, nowadays you can do all of that online. Uh, I would say, though, that, you know, once I have an idea of where I want to go, and I would say this to anyone if they were planning a trip, it's also really helpful to find out if anyone in your network has either lived there or traveled there, because that can really shape an experience. Uh, I can remember a few years ago, I was uh, working in Hong Kong, and I wanted to go to Japan uh, for a long weekend. And one of my friends there said, oh, you know, I have a friend who's in Japan. And so when I got to Japan, that you know, she came and met me one evening, we went climbing, she took me to, to find some local food. So oh. whenever I can, I do uh, try to meet up with locals so that I'm experiencing the, the country or that city as a local would, not necessarily as a tourist would. Yes, yes, great advice. Do you have any upcoming adventures planned? No, unfortunately, I don't. I've been thinking about what to do. I know I think the, the pandemic put a bit of a hard break uh, on my, my travels, um, but I am looking around for the next great adventure and I'm just sort of thinking through, you know, where do I want to go? Do I want to go down to Argentina? Do I want to go 
to Asia? Do I want to go more, you know, wilderness? Do I want to go city? So no, nothing uh, imminent. Um, well, that, that said, actually, I, I may do a tr- another trip to Japan next okay. year. That I would not consider as much uh, an adventure in terms of sort of the roughing it type of uh, trip, but certainly okay. an adventure in terms of uh, culinary adventure, uh, beautiful architecture, um, that kind of thing. Yeah. So before we go, I need to mention that you're also a podcaster and one of the hosts of the Daily Barons Live show. Can you tell us more about this? Absolutely. So Barons Live is our daily webcast and podcast where we cover a range of different topics. And the show is always live so that audience members can actually submit questions. Mm -hmm. And about once a month, I host an episode on managing your money. That's wonderful. So um, we'll make sure to include a link to that as well. And how can listeners connect with you online? So probably the easiest is to find me on LinkedIn, um, Lauren Foster. You'll see my bio there at Barron's and I'm always open to making new connections there. Great. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. That's all for this episode of Media and Minutes, a podcast by Communications Redefined. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. We'd love to hear what you think. You can find more at communicationsredefined.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Angela Toole. Talk to you next time.